Miracy. Anyone who is a dedicated teacher and really cares about their area of focus can make a great course over time if they keep doing it and collecting meaningful questions and feedback and then do a real iteration. Hello and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eney, founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it or both. Today, we welcome Rob Witcher to the show. Rob is a cybersecurity instructor and the co-founder of Destination Certification, Inc. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's cool to be here. So let's start with the backstory. So 30,000 feet, who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing it? How did you make your way to, to what you're doing today? Yeah, so I got started in technology very early on in, in my life and realized I had a real passion for it. So when I went to university, I was lucky enough to have a professor who was one of the founding members of Canada's cybercrime investigations unit. He'd investigate all these really fascinating cybercrimes. And I realized, this is it. This is the area I want to work in, cybersecurity. And that was kind of my real launching point into the career that I have now. So he and I actually had a, a bit of a startup, uh, which was not a great success. So I went back to school, did a BCom, and during that time, trying to figure out the business side of things, I went to a bunch of security conferences and just talked to everyone that I could and asked, you know, like, what is your role? What do you do? Who do you work for? And realized that I wanted, very early in my career at least, I wanted a really broad view of security. I didn't want to specialize in any one area. So I decided to go and work for one of the big consulting firms. And that gave me a really solid understanding of the cybersecurity world quite broadly. And it was at the end of my career at Deloitte where I met my now business partner, John Birdie. He'd been teaching this really focused class to help people prepare for a really well-known and very difficult certification in the cybersecurity space known as the CISSP, the Certified Information System Security Professional Certification. And he taught these classes. They're like kind of one-week intensive bootcamp classes. He taught them within the firm and to clients all over the world. And I just, through happenstance, I got an opportunity to go and help him teach one of these classes and realized I had a real passion for doing this, to, for teaching. So he was kind enough to mentor me. And uh, my last couple of years at the firm, I traveled all over the world with him, teaching these classes to all sorts of different organizations. And then there was an opportunity for he and I to move out on our own, to create our own company, focusing in this space, teaching these classes. And that's what we've done now for the last four years. Cool. So talk about that transition, you know, going from teaching these classes for Deloitte. So essentially, you know, they put people in the room, you just have to show up and teach to going off and doing it on your own. All of a sudden, it's all on you. You've got to fill the room. You've got to do the marketing. You've got to do the logistics. You've got to still do the teaching. What was that transition like? Yeah, I mean, in that sense, we were incredibly lucky as a company because when we left the firm, for a global firm like Deloitte, these little classes that we taught, you know, this was minuscule amount of revenue for the firm. So we actually left with the blessing of the partners to keep teaching these classes to the major corporate clients that we'd already been teaching to. And so that was kind of a blessing and a cursing for our company because from the start, we had immediately a list of really amazing clients. We've never had to try and we've never done any marketing. We've never had to try and get work. It's word of mouth. It's our relationships with these existing clients. And we've just been crazy busy delivering these live classes for the last few years. The curse of that, though, is that now that we're trying to sell our course to the public, you know, while within the small space that we work in, like we're well known to the general public, no one has any idea who we are. And so it's been a bit of a challenge to try and figure out how do we get the word out about destination certification and why our course is good or not, and, uh, and, and therefore sort of attract people to our online version of our class. That's really cool. So talk about 
I've had a chance to see a little bit behind the scenes of what you're doing. You know, this is not just, you know, a bunch of PowerPoints that you're, you know, reading the slides off the screen. And, you know, it's not a very generic, boring kind of presentation. You do really interesting work in terms of the delivery and fulfillment. So talk about that. Yeah, I think there's a couple sides to that. So let me first start with the kind of the system that we've ended up developing. When I first sort of started down this path of, okay, let's build our own material. The first very obvious thing to do was just to recreate the slides and create new, better slides. And that took a while because there's over a thousand slides in our one week boot camp. So there's a lot of material just there. And the next step was, okay, let's make our own flashcards. And that's actually what got to start us on the technology side of things, because the original flashcards we were using was a set of about 300 flashcards, which was manageable when you print them on paper. When we wrote our own flashcards, it ended up being close to 1200 flashcards. And that's a giant stack of paper. And we weren't going to like hand this giant block of paper to students to be like, okay, here's 1200 flashcards, go learn these. So that was actually the first impetus to start building our own technology, which is we decided to build our own flashcard app to house all these flashcards so that we could say to students in our class here, just go download our flashcard app. And it was right around this time that I had a, I'd been kind of searching for something in the back of my mind. And it was right at this point when something clicked. So here's why I was searching for something. In certifications like this one, like the CISSP, there's an enormous amount of information that someone needs to learn. And this is especially true in the CISSP. In the industry, it's known as being a mile wide and only an inch deep. In other words, it covers an incredibly broad number of topics. I mean, we're talking everything from how you do policies and procedures, risk management, cryptography, access management, physical security, you know, like generators and backup battery power systems and fire extinguishers to like business continuity management and just everything in between. It's insane, the number of different topics. And, you know, what we very clearly saw in our students is that each person coming into the class comes with a different unique set of skills and experience and background. And so, you know, the question students would also come ask us is, okay, well, what do I need to learn? And the answer is, well, it depends on what you know versus what you don't know. What is your unique knowledge out of this vast amount of stuff that you need to learn? And so when we were building our flashcard app, I realized that, hey, like for each flashcard, our app should ask the person like so they can swipe, like to indicate they know the card or they don't know the card. And then I realized, okay, we can build a system behind the scenes that will understand, okay, what what topic is this flashcard related to? And so if someone indicates, you know, for four or five flashcards all related to the same topic that they don't know these flashcards, that's a pretty good indicator that they don't know this topic. And so then you can start to give them some guidance on, okay, here's what you uniquely, specifically need to focus on in your studies. We've built a whole bunch of tools that all have the same fundamental concept behind them, which is how do we most effectively and efficiently test our students to figure out what they know versus what they don't know so that we can then give them a highly personalized guidance. So the point is, the really cool part that I'm really proud of that we've built is our system does a really good job of specifically identifying which topics someone needs to learn more about and then says, here you go. Here's the exact study material related to that topic. Here's the video. Here's the, the detailed write-up. Here's links to authoritative sources like NIST documents and things like that. And here's the flashcards and here's the mind map video. So we built this highly, highly customized system that understands what a student needs to know and then basically instantly gives them all that study material related to that. So I think that's one kind of unique and cool thing that we've done. And from a presentation standpoint, I think this is probably more where you referred to, Danny, (laughs) when we're teaching live classes, we had to make this switch. Of course, uh, when the pandemic hit, we used to fly all over the world, teach these courses on site at our client sites. When the pandemic hit, we had to move online. And I've attended Zoom calls where you see the presenter in this little tiny box in the bottom corner, and then you're just looking at a slide most of the time, and it's pretty horrendously boring. And our classes are 10 hours a day for five days sitting in front of a a computer for 10 hours a day for five days, staring at like a little, you know, 
posted stamps picture of the person presenting and then a slide. That would be brutal for just about anyone. So one cool technology that we adopted, they're called light boards. We certainly didn't invent the technology. We just found it and realized it would work really well for us. You basically put a big piece of glass between you and a high resolution camera, and you can use these kind of neon light board markers to write on the glass. And there's lights built into the glass that kind of makes the neon markers glow. And then we use some software OBS to overlay our slides The whole result of this is that when we're standing up teaching, it's a video of us. So we're not this little posted stamp down in the bottom corner and we're overlaying our slides so that we can interact with the material. It's it's almost like standing in front of a class in front of a projector, pointing at things on the slide being like, okay, here, here's the, and a lot of what we teach, there's complex diagrams when you're explaining digital certificates or digital signatures or something like that. There's a lot of complexity involved in these things. So we have a lot of diagrams and it's helpful to point at a diagram and be like, okay, at this step, this is what's occurring. And so using our setup, we can be interacting with the material that we're presenting live and drawing diagrams and things like that. What I mean, it sounds like you spent a lot of time thinking about different ways to engage with and support your your participants. How do you tell like what's working? Like, are you doing anything in terms of attempting to measure either quantitatively or qualitatively which of these different techniques are really most effective for people? We're really lucky on our team to have an incredibly smart data scientist. She used to work for Google and Tesla and so forth. Our tools gather a huge amount of data in the background about usage and things, how much time someone is spending with the different tools. And then we tie that back to who passed or who didn't. And we look for trends in that. And based on that, we've been able to refine and provide a lot more clear guidance to our students on like what they should be focusing on or not, because we're pretty clearly seeing what makes a difference to someone passing the exam or not. Yeah, I guess that's what I was kind of wondering is, what have you changed or evolved over time? Based on looking at that data and or what would you say are some of like the lessons you've learned that might be applicable for other course creators as well? Yeah, it's very easy for someone, especially when they just get into something, it's very easy to get lost in the complexity and be overwhelmed. And so I think one of the most important lessons we learned is simplicity is better and providing less and being very concise and obvious on this is what you need to work on next. This is what you need to do next has been really important. So one of the core things that we did in our system is we completely reworked the schedule. So when someone logs into our system, they have a schedule that says, watch this video or do this or do that. We massively simplified our system. So most of the tools that are available are now hidden, essentially, and they're just kind of sitting behind the schedule. And the schedule says, okay, on this day, this time, do this. When you're done that, do this. And that way, when someone just jumps into the system, they're not lost. They're not overwhelmed by the all that, the, that they should do. And even subtle things like our For our full like online class, there's like over, like I said, over 200 videos, over like 30 assessments. There's literally hundreds of things that someone needs to get through. And so if you just reveal that list to them when they first log in for the first time, it is daunting. And so another just little simple thing we did is that we created like an accordion menu to our schedule. So like you log in and the first little thing that opens up is just like the welcome. And there's just a few videos and a few things of like, here's the first few things you need to do. And then when you're done that, you go into the first domain and that only really reveals like another 30, 40 things that someone has to do. So it doesn't overwhelm the person. Yeah. So fundamentally, I think a really important lesson we learned was just simplicity, clarity, simple steps. Yeah. Any other lessons learned or other things that you've discovered in your journey working with students that you think might be helpful to other people who are looking to evolve their courses and and make them more effective? Less is always more, right? Don't just write paragraphs of text. It's better to have a really simple picture and then talk to it. That always works better. And I think the other thing is just 
at least and this is applicable, especially to a course like ours, but certainly to others as well. When you have to teach an enormous amount of material and just get a ton of knowledge into someone's head, it's important to think very carefully about how you're articulating certain concepts and to, yeah, there's a, I think it was Hemingway that said this, right? Like I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time, right? Like that's a really key part of what I'm always thinking about when I'm creating our course materials, which is how do I explain this concept as simply and concisely as possible so that someone can understand it and then move on to the next thing? The perfect example of this is when I first started teaching with my partner, John. Uh, before I joined him, he'd been teaching literally for 20 years. And so he was really, really good at it. And I sort of slowly started teaching with him. So I'd watch him teach a section a few times and then I'd teach it myself at like the next class. And what I noticed consistently is that he'd teach a section in about half as long as I would teach it in. And there'd be like almost no questions when he was done. Whereas, and then I'd go and teach that section. It would take me twice as long. And there'd be like 20, 30 questions. And he'd be like, what? I spent so much longer on this. And there's still all these questions. It's because I wasn't good at explaining these complex things simply and concisely. And so when I realized that, it made me spend a lot of time thinking about that. Whenever I'm developing new materials, how do I explain this concept as simply and concisely as possible? How do you boil it down to the bare bones of what is it that someone needs to understand and eliminate a lot of the fluff and the unnecessary things that you might sort of explain or say around a topic that will actually just conflate the core idea? Seems like it might be easier to get that type of feedback and iteration doing in-person classes where you're like, you're getting the questions, you're like seeing whether people are engaged or not. Have you found it harder to do that type of iteration online or you have other ways, like you're getting enough feedback from people that it still works? Yeah, it's an excellent point. For our self-paced classes that students take online and they're just watching our videos, I have zero feedback on this. I have no idea. The reason that we're able to still figure this out is that we still do a ton of live teaching and it's live online, but we encourage our students to ask questions always in classes. And so Cybersecurity is a constantly evolving field. We're always adding new material to our slides and to our course. And so when you first talk about some new topic, the very first time usually goes pretty rough. Like you're not, you know, not super rough, but you know, we've a lot of experience teaching, but you know, you realize, you know, when you teach it a few times, oh, okay, I could have said it this way or I could have said it that way. And a lot of this is just driven by the questions you get. Someone will say, oh, but what about this? And you're like, oh yeah, okay. How do I just kind of build that question into how I teach this material so it doesn't come up next time? So yeah, the way that we refine this is absolutely through live instruction. If someone was just watching our videos, there'd be no way for us to gather this feedback and refine and refine and refine. Cool. I don't have anything else. I've got like a ton of notes, so I'm, uh, I'm very happy. Rob Wisher is the co-founder of Destination Certification, Inc. To learn more about him and his program, head on over to destcert.com. That's D-E-S-T-C-E-R-T.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. So Abe, this was a very different kind of course and interview. Where should we begin? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that jumped out at me is just the value of having a very clear focus for a course. And Rob's is kind of unique because he is literally teaching to the test. Like he has an actual test that he is trying to help people prepare for. And most people listening probably won't be creating courses like that. But I think it's useful to go through the thought exercise of what would it look like if you were, right? What would the test or assessment or metric that the student would be going through that would essentially evaluate success 
in the area that you're teaching. And if you've never thought about that explicitly, it can be really just helpful to try and envision what that might look like. And then by doing that, it can give you a path to what Rob described as really the keys to success for his course, which are simplicity and and clarity. So we know we've seen, you know, many times that we've talked to many people who've shared how having a diffuse focus and trying to provide too much information is really the death knell for learning of any kind, but especially online, you know, when people's attention tends to be harder to maintain. You know, as I was listening, you know, I had a couple of thoughts kind of cross my mind at the same time. One was, wow, it's really cool what they've built and the elegance of the tech stack and everything they can do and so forth. And the other thought was, I hope this isn't super like discouraging and intimidating to our listeners who are like, how could I possibly do all that? And what I took away that I thought was hopefully helpful as a lesson is, I mean, first of all, obviously, don't compare your beginning somebody else's middle. You know, they're quite a ways down the road on this. And I think this is actually a really powerful lesson about the impact of a diligent process of continuous improvement. I saw this written out as an equation at one point, but, you know, if you just do the same thing every day, you're exactly the same after a year. If you're 1% better, so, you know, 1.01 to the power of 365, you know, at the end of the year, you're 37 times better, right? Because it compounds and stacks and it really adds up. And it started really simple. It's like, well, we want our people to be able to practice. So let's make this flashcards app, which is not that complicated. Well, it's like, since we're doing that, hey, can we detect patterns? And can we have the system flag the teacher if people are missing something? Or can we have it flag them if they're not doing the work? And same thing on the content delivery side. Let's get a little bit better every day. Let's focus on how we can improve. And often the result is deceptively simple, deceptively elegant. He was, I love the example about teaching something when you're an experienced, savvy teacher and it's half the time and people have no questions, whereas the beginner teacher takes twice as long and then everybody's confused. So finding that level of excellence leads to an elegance that just makes everything easier. But the key is not to say, okay, I've got to build this ginormous Rube Goldberg machine of learning and you know not ship anything until it's all done. But rather it's to say, let's ship something and let's make it a little bit better every single day. And it's one of those, we overestimate what we can do in a, in a day, but we underestimate what we can do in a year. It won't be dramatic in any particular day, the improvement, but over the course of a year and years, really compounds into a powerful competitive advantage. Yeah, I and mean, I think anyone who is a dedicated teacher and really cares about their area of focus can make a great course over time if they keep doing it and collecting you know, meaningful questions and feedback and then do a real iteration, right? I think where it breaks down is you spend a lot of time up front creating content, and then it kind of feels like this thing that you don't want to mess with, basically, right? And so the the tendency can be to, when you get feedback and questions from people, you tend to just sort of tweak things around the edges, right? As opposed to, you know, it looks like what Rob and his team did was much more foundational, right? They would go through and completely restructure presentations to make them a lot simpler and shorter and flow better and have simpler graphics, like really going from version one to version two to version three, not just doing some nice little tweaks here and there, you know, to version one. And that commitment is not easy, but that's what really makes for a great course over time. Well, and, and that tends to happen in a process of punctuated equilibrium. So you don't go necessarily from version one to two to three to four. You go from 
1 to 1.1 to 1.11 to 1.12. And then eventually, okay, now it's version two and then so on and so forth, right? I mean, speaking for myself, you know, I never deliver a webinar or class or lesson without just jotting down a few notes at the end of like, okay, this could have been better. Change this thing on that slide. And often it's really minor stuff that, again, you know, 1% better each time in aggregate, it adds up. And other times you notice something that's like bigger. You might make a note and be like, well, I don't know if I'll fix this for next time, but I'm putting it on the list. It's in my awareness now. And all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself three or six months down the road and you've got, you know, all these things to improve to lead to that like legitimate next version. Really interesting and cool illustration of that concept. Yeah. Anything else? Anything we missed on the tech stuff or? I don't think so. You want to read us out? Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as a soul-savvy business and self-awakened lifestyle. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer, post-production by Post Office Sound. Another thanks to Rob Witcher for coming onto the show today. Remember, if you want to learn more about his courses, head on over to destcert.com, D-E-S-T-C-E-R-T.com. And if you don't want to miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab, make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Are you enjoying our show? If you are, please go ahead and leave us a starred review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah. Because We're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. 
my desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.